Check, 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 Yeah, it's like, I don't know, there's something to the rhythm. Like, I get super self-conscious like yeah. every time I'm recording anything. So I try to start with nonsense. Because right. it kind of like, relaxes, like relaxes me yeah, and, I get, and I get used to it. So welcome to the show. Thanks. <laughs> we made it. We're here. I want to, uh, let's just start with doing just a roll call. This is the room. The room's happening right now. We're in the room. In my small crappy apartment actually it's not crappy no not at all yeah there's ca- it's catty there's a it's catty cats. and there's a dog a- <laughs> for clarification oh, there's Achilles. one cat and one dog my lovely foster babies um but it is the cat's always present but um roll call i'm zora what would you like me to say with my roll call my name is adam yeah I did drugs once, or twice, or, or many twice. times. Yeah. I was never involved in that as a little kid, because I was not cool enough. What, to, to do drugs or the no, Shibuya No, I definitely did the, the Shibuya roll call. I was like, I don't know what's going on, I'm embarrassed. No, I definitely did the drugs, because I was not cool. Um, <laughs> it made me cool. Um, but yeah, I'm Zora. We're sitting here in my apartment. Um... Her name is Zora. Yeah. I did drugs once. Yeah. She likes Pandora. Yeah. yeah. So check her out. Woo. <laughs> and I'm Adam. And now my complicated name, Crystal A. Crystal A. So if you were going to break your name down, I would say Crystal Light and Frito Lay and put them together to make Crystal A. Or a Hawaiian flower. <laughs> that's, that's more my day. I'm like, this is Crystal Lay. She's like a Hawaiian flower. Or a Frito chili pie. <laughs> yes. um, it's almost that time, right? If it wasn't 97 degrees outside. Yeah, football season's always time for Frito chili pies. Always. <laughs> but yeah, so we've got some topics that we want to talk about. These are the three I'm just going to throw out, the three to start with. Go ahead. So we got the sex inventory. Mm-hmm. Definitely want to hear about that. Yeah. Vulnerability. We're experiencing the need to be vulnerable this week. That's a topic of discussion. Yeah. And then the all-inclusive, all-exclusive, is it? Dating and recovery. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on who you're asking, right? Yeah. So, yeah, those are our three topics. Um, so, sex inventory, right? Crystal, you just did yours. I did. Oh, my Lord. It's your first one? Yes. So what would you think? What was your experience? Or explain for people what in sex inventory entails. So basically, I took the top people that I could think of in that I've had sexual relations with. and This is part of the fourth step, right? Correct. Okay. Yes. And um, wrote... How the relationship started, my actions in the relationship, was there dishonesty, was there um, just a bunch of different, I guess you could say negatives. Jealousy. Yes. If you were inconsiderate. Yes. Lying, everything. And basically wrote 
about each of these people and these relationships to find my patterns in um, my history to go forward and change those patterns. I was going to repeat what she just said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Recognizing. Not, I love yeah. how there's I mean, like I'm, silence after I that. I mean, your mind, Adam, that's what I was going to Yeah. No, no, you go for it. Like, uh, yeah. Patterns, right? Yes. Patterns are the scariest part, I think, that we gain. You gain that from your inventory, just in, like your resentment part. There's three parts. Resentments, fears, sex inventory. And the patterns come out in all of them. I'm in the middle of a four-step. I just finished writing mine. I'm about to do a... I'm almost done, and I swear my sponsor's tired of hearing me say I'm almost done, but I legitimately actually am almost done with my sex inventory. Um, But I'm about to do my fifth step, and in that, I see the patterns in, like, my fourth step resentments is all boiled down to one fear. I'm not good enough. The fears are all been the same since I started. And then the sex inventory part, same pattern. Like, not the same patterns, but patterns arise. So in this being your first one, what do you find in those patterns? Like, what your first one ever? Yes. Oh wow. So, yeah. to dial back, right? How long have you? How long have you been sober? Four and a half months. Okay. It took me six months of trying and trying to get to stability to work the program and really be involved and make it successful as of now. <laughs> so yeah. Like making it a priority. Yeah. I really had to uh, restructure my entire life. So I, I changed my job. I changed my place of living. I, I got rid of my animals for a time being um, to focus on myself and really changed all aspects of my life to, for it to finally sink in that this is how I need to work my program. Hmm. It's, it's hard. You have to move away from those people, places, and things like I moved here from Savannah because there's there was no recovery for me in Savannah, and that's not to say that's the case for everyone. Uh, I mean, I moved here. I knew a lot of people. I used and I drank here before I moved to Savannah, but there's some part of removing myself, right? Which is what mm-hmm. you did in change your job, change your place, maybe have some separation from your pets um, or whatever the things are, right? Like some people talk about. The fastest way to get home, you know, a guy in the room someone's like, fastest way to get home for me is to drive down Delk Road. I don't drive down Delk Road. I take an extra 15 minutes of my drive so he doesn't have to drive down the road. He's been sober like 10 years, but for him, that's what he had to do, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone has the things um, that they have to maybe remove for a time, right? So it's great that you found that, right? Like, how can I get to... What do I have to change to make this possible for myself? Yeah. And it was always me making excuses as to why I didn't, I couldn't change those things and didn't change those things and still stayed stuck in my same position. And it was only like, there's a lot of other things that go into it, but completely changing all aspects of my life, who I hung out with, where I, where I hung out, what it, what I did on Friday night, just changing those um, interactions and, uh, situation so that I wouldn't put myself back into negative spaces. What was it, what was it that made you decide to do that? Was um, it like an inflection point? So I, I really, like I, I wanted the program and I wanted it to work, but there was something missing and I just, I couldn't figure out what it was. I was like, I was sitting in the rooms and I'm like, how are all these people getting it? and doing the deal and I just can't make this work 
And um, I actually, I, I was going to move to Savannah at this point in time. I, my lease was running out and I, and I had a free house to live in down there. And somebody was like, you're going to go to Savannah and kill yourself. You know nobody there. You have no program down there. You're just going to use until you possibly can't use anymore. So you have to spend time to figure out this is a really big change like that you're about to make. You could make it for a positive or you can make it for a negative. And so I really sat on it for a long time. And it my change was... I needed to separate myself from myself hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that brought you to your to your fourth step. You've never gone. You've never done the fourth step before until now. No. And this, the with the sex inventories on the fourth step. Yes. When I did it, it was like very difficult because I had a name names on well one name specifically an ex that I had been with that was to see her name and to like talk about. The relationship ending because like I shot dope all the way through the end of the relationship so I didn't have to feel it kind of a thing mm -hmm. so it was very tough for me to actually write the names out write the details and express what had happened because I'd never you know I don't know I never get, faced the facts yeah, it's not that I, I never felt the facts mm -hmm. it's probably the best way to say it I made a big mistake <clears throat> excuse me at the beginning of doing my first fourth step so or sex inventory portion of it, I thought that what I had to do was write out every person I had ever slept with, right? So I start writing this list. And not to sound too much like of a hoe, the list was longer than I wanted it to be, okay? <laughs> Zora the Hora, what up? I'm just kidding. That was just a really mean name that someone called me when I was in high school. It was not accurate at that time. But, um, but nonetheless, I wrote all this stuff out, right? I wrote all these people's names. And I started to feel like, wow, I am, I, I'm, I have... I have loose morals. I grew up in the church, right? So all the like sin thoughts are coming in my head and and it well it was eye-opening and I started to recognize a pattern, right? Like the pattern was I have no connection, so I connect with my body. That's not what the sex inventory is about. It's more about looking at like, yeah, a good chunk of those, but the key ones, like how did I show up in my relationship with my my first ex, right? Like that was a big one. Um We'll call him Bill. That's not his name. Bill, right? Like, how did I show up? How was I jealous? How was I inconsiderate? How was I dishonest? Um, how was I selfish? And some of it came out in like, well, this is what he did to me. But what was my part? And then as you peel back the layers of, okay, what happened in this one? What happened with Chad? What happened with Tiffany, right? Like, all made up names, just for the record. Um, then I could start to see those patterns of, I can't connect to other people unless I'm doing it through my body and I can't connect to other people because I'm being dishonest because I'm trying to hide who I am or I'm trying to hide fears. Like everything for me is fear-based. Mm -hmm. um, so what So what did you learn when you did that? Um, a lot. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I learned that dishonesty was a large portion of them. And keep in mind, that's my first four step, right? I'm on my fourth now. So well, your fourth, fourth step? My fourth, fourth step. So in the times that I've written the other two in between now, or like the two before, because I haven't shared mine yet, so I don't count it as done until I get the fifth step done. But that's just my personal opinion. Um, my, my other two, they changed, right? Because I've already talked about that old baggage. For me, they didn't, a couple of them came back up on the inventory, but then I was talking about like 
the relationship I was currently in at the time when I wrote the other two. I had a serious relationship. He lived with me and I had some jealousy issues. So now I'm not being dishonest. Now the jealousy is popping up. Um, but when it comes down to it, the biggest thing that I learned was I am, I was being guarded and allowing the fears to have me show up in a way that was not who my ideal person, like my sex ideal, my ideal of how I want to show up in a relationship. Now I heard something recently where someone did sex inventory, but they put in their core like relationships, not romantic relationships. Like I'd put my best friend on there, my father and I are really close someone else and that blew my mind right like on the sex inventory yeah you use the same kind of idea of like like gender inventory basically or like how are you being dishonest and considerate selfish in how are you showing up in those relationships rather than looking at like oh i'm resentful where's my part how am i showing up as a daughter how am i showing up as a best friend Mm -hmm. how am i showing up as an employee my boss you know could make it on there Man, that sounds like a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, lot. I'll hold that for later. I'm going to finish this one first. I got 53 people on my I mean, <laughs> resentment. Think, just thinking about the, the amount of relationships in my life, like, and amount, the amount of effort it takes to even dig into the, like, the subconscious psychological mm-hmm. issues within myself and then try to, like, rebuild a relationship or improve a relationship with the amount of energy I have, it's like... I feel like if I can just focus on the root mm-hmm. of this, like I want to be able to be present for anybody and everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think the, that the, the sex inventory being part of the fourth step, what that, what that did is it, it gave me a, a perspective on how I showed up in, in romantic relationships, mm-hmm. which I, I have not known how to do. Like have a, rom- like a successful, healthy romantic relationship is something I'm currently learning how to do. Because it's, it's like I've never, I guess, never succeeded right. to an extent. When they say that you learn how to be in a romantic relationship based on your parents and based on the years two to five. Like, that's when you learn. The years two to five. Two of, to five as of a child, not a years oh wow. sober, right? So, for instance, if you're, and, and it's doable, right? Through, through this process or through therapy or whatever, depending on where you're at in life, you can learn how to have successful relationships it just takes time but say for instance like with me I have a biological father who is not present in my life between two and five he still was not present in my life um and that term daddy issues well as something we like to throw around sometimes as a joke it's a legitimate thing right like in my mind my mom was super strong and hardworking, and she didn't need no man as my little sister would say but I saw that as how I learned how relationships were. Like I didn't, you don't need a guy, you do it yourself, men are not to be trusted. That's it, what, go ahead, yeah. Well, it formed your worldview. My worldview, right? Leading up to now that mm-hmm. you're sober and recognize like as a sober person who's in recovery, right. I've been telling myself a whole bunch of shit that's not true. 100%. And then add into the mix that I have an adoptive stepdad. Who is my dad? He's, he's who I refer to as my dad. He is the, my forever dad. That's what we talk about. Um, You put that in there and I'm like, my brain is like, okay, I have all these false beliefs. Now I have a new belief that I don't quite understand. And I'm about to be 28 years old, two and a half years sober. Like, how do I process all this, right? Like, how do I understand that going back to the inventory, right? Like, 
I can connect to people. I don't need to do it all, but that doesn't mean I'm a doormat. But I don't have to put that wall up because I'm afraid that some man's going to leave me like my dad did, as cliche as that sounds. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and it, and it just, like, the thing that recovery did for me is it, it like, literally removed all the armor that I had. Mm-hmm. So that fear that you just described, I've never had a, my parents have been together my whole life. They were separated for a little bit and came back, but... I never had that fear or insecurity until I stopped using drugs and alcohol. Now I'm scared of fucking everything. <laughs> and I'm af- afraid of being alone. I don't know when to talk or when, how to share or how to friend. I don't know how to friend. I'm learning how to do all that. Uh, and But, like, the one thing that, that saved me, I think, is early on was the fact that there was a process. There was the step work I could focus on, there was calling my sponsor that I could focus on, and then all the people that would always say, call me anytime that I could call. So I always had, the best part about it early on was just having a reason, was like, I'm, like I knew very clearly I'm calling this person because I don't want to use today, or I don't want to go back to using at all. That was Mm -hmm. the reason. It's been difficult recently because that's no longer an issue, so I don't have an excuse other than like I just want to talk to somebody and then it just makes it just feels weird for me uh, not having a reason uh, what's it been like for for you like uh, you're how many months in six four five six months four and a half four and um, a half months in yeah so mine was a big wake-up call and I have a therapist at the same time so I, I work through my issues w- along with her and it's really been helpful because what I realized from the sex inventory is that I do. I, I lead with my body because I don't value my, my mind. And that stems from my lack of self-worth. And so I enter relationships on a sexual basis. And then somewhere in between the beginning and the end, I change it to wanting a meaningful, substantial relationship with someone where we have more in common and more to talk about and just someone that you connect with on a deeper level and so I in the middle tend to try to change the relationship into something that it didn't start out as and that seeing that that has not worked nor has it gotten me what I wanted at the end has really been mind changing in that I need to go into relationships presenting my mind first and then my body is just a extra to the relationship. It's not the whole part of, I guess, the connection in general. Yeah, basically the sex isn't the point or, yes. the, or the entryway, so mm-hmm. to say. But it's actually like the, the icing on the cake that is yes. me or you or me well, or you. From what I've found from my journey through this stuff... And, and, and through therapy, right? Like, I, I firmly believe, and I'll preach it from the hilltops, is that if you're doing this, this step work process, I strongly suggest therapy, too, because there's stuff that my sponsor can't handle. She's a lawyer. <laughs> she is not a therapist. Although, like, I texted you earlier, Adam. I was like, there's a fine line between being therapist and being a sponsor, but it's not my job, right? But I have found that in the moments where I connect with someone intimately, which, you know, intimacy is not physical intimacy is connection emotionally spiritually mentally when those are there first I have better sex okay like I think for me they go hand in hand 
Um, cause sex is the icing on the cake, right? It's the, it's the extra bonus part and it can be amazing. Not to say you can't have good sex without having the motion, but that's just what I've found. And it's, it's so much harder though. Like it's so much harder, maybe just cause it's 2019. Maybe it's just because it's who we are wired as addicts. I don't know. Um, Wait, what's, what's harder? Like having a meaningful relationship with someone up front before you bring the physical stuff into the mix. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, that's been my experience as a, as a, as a woman, as a, as a woman in recovery, as is the finding someone like my stepmother would roll her eyes at me quoting her to be like, you have to find someone who's your friend first because that's the only way it's going to last. But it's true, right? You have to find someone who's going to connect with you on those levels um, and then you'll be more intimate. And in the end, like, as you go throughout relationships, you do have lulls as well as highs. But in those lulls, when you're maybe not as attracted or you're not having as much um, connection sexually, then you have a person that you can be intimate with on a different level and still have that connection, whether it be talking or just doing the same activities. Mm. It's not just purely physical. But people like you for your body, right? <laughs> and not to say they don't like you for other reasons, but I, it's, it's just human well, nature, it, no, right? No, it's, it's just the first thing that we notice. Right. Mm-hmm. The first thing that we notice is physical attributes. Um, there was a weird shift for me was when, I mean, so when I first started dating in recovery, it was like I just... It just started happening. It was like, you know, I didn't like mean for it to happen. It just started happening, and, and all of a sudden, I realized I've been dating people. People. <laughs> people. <laughs> Plurals. Uh, um, and then, and then I'm. I remember. I don't know. A few years ago, I woke up to the fact that, like, I, I remember. So what'll happen? What? How the way I was operating was, I'd figure out what I was afraid of, and I'd move towards it. It's like basically my, what my recovery has been up until this point. Figure out what I'm afraid of, go towards it. And so I would be out of relationship. I'd be single, and I'd realize I'm afraid to talk to attractive women again. So I'd go, oh, I'm afraid to do this. Now I'm going to go do that thing. Mm-hmm. And I would go talk to an attractive girl. And there was something that happened a couple years ago where something flipped, where it was no longer like I would start a conversation with someone I was attracted to. And during like the first 30 seconds I was like ooh this isn't this isn't going to work even though I was still physically attracted cuz something had flipped in my brain and I realized I'd learned something that like you know sex is cool sex is great but it lasts like a second maybe maybe like the the whole process what you're talking about the intimacy when you find someone that you enjoy mm-hmm. going through the process with all of a sudden it becomes whatever you want it to be and, and the after sex is usually better than the actual act of that's true and well, oh, go ahead. I'm so no sorry. no I'm, I was just gonna say that that's just what I I started realizing that like coming from a space of seeking pleasure mm-hmm. and realizing that that's not the answer it allowed me to reframe what I what I find to be uh, what experiences I, I, I find are more valuable well it requires vulnerability right as my favorite person who talks about things, Brene Brown would say, and Crystal is laughing because I, I share this all the time in our women's meeting, um, but vulnerability is the true measurement of courage, right? And, and it really is. It takes a lot to be vulnerable. It takes a lot to come into this space and be like, 
hey, Amada Ben Zora the Hora. That's a vulnerable moment, right? No, from, I don't want people to think I'm a slut. Um, but beyond that, like, doing the sex inventory, that's a lot of vulnerability. I'm going to write all this stuff that I've never thought about. I've never talked about with anyone. I'm going to write it down on paper. Now it's there. And then I have to go talk to somebody else about it. It's evidence. And like my sponsor is suggesting that because I'm in Big Book Awakening, so it's like a super intense version of the steps. And she's like, once we do your inventory, I'm going to want you to go do it with someone else. And I'm like, what do you mean? Someone I don't know? Like somebody else I have to share it not only with you I had to write it down and I'm more or less an open book at this point but there's that's vulnerability right to get honest and be vulnerable to say hey I'm not so like you talked about I'm afraid of this I'm gonna walk toward it and that vulnerability is like putting on a coat of armor because by opening yourself up you're allowing the process of change if not it's kind of a cowardice moment to say, oh, well, I don't want to look at that, right? The first step is to recognize the problem. If you don't recognize how you can grow and if you don't recognize those patterns that we find in inventory, that we find in any of this recovery process, what's the key to, what's, what are the three things? Honesty, willingness, and open-mindedness. Those all come from vul- being vulnerable. Mic drop. That's my TikTok. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's but what's the what's the thing right now? The thing. My vulnerability. Yeah. What are you afraid to do? Like, what is what is there something? Gosh, um, I guess the hardest struggle for me in this nine months since the beginning of the year started when the vulnerability really started kicking in an unwanted vulnerability. Right. I did not want to talk to anyone about what was going on in my head. A lot of it was depression led, but. For me, being really vulnerable right now is A, asking in my relationships, like having conversations with people about how I want to interact with them. Not saying that like, oh, you can't be honest with me, but for me to say, hey, I want to be loved and I want to be treated differently. I'm, I'm tired of being tough loved by people. I spent my whole life being tough loved and I would rather someone come to me and say, hey, I'm not super pleased with how you've been doing this. Can we talk about it? Rather than be like, this is wrong. You are wrong. I, I'm just not at that place right now. Wait, I'm, um, I'm, I lost you. So you're not at the place of... Tough love anymore. So be nice, so, guys. So you're, 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 you're now trying to communicate how yeah. you want to be... That's vulnerable for me. I don't do well with communicating with other people and asking for what I want based mm. on how I feel like... If I ask you this, you'll perceive me as being weak. That's a lot of in my inner makeup is I have to come off as this strong, badass bitch that, to be honest, I'm inside. I'm just like a small little kid that just wants someone to hug me and tell me they love me, which correlates to how I don't like to be touched, right? I think I don't like to be touched, but I really do because no one hugged me enough. That's a whole nother thing. But for Hold me, that's <laughs> good. Talking about ever, ever, so, but, wait, so wait. You don't like to be touched. Yes, selectively. Selectively, but you actually think that means you really do. I think I really do want people to hug me and to hold me, but I'm afraid to have that because, like, if I let you hug me, I might cry or I might get, I might be weak. You might feel. And I might feel things, right? And so yeah. all this is me being, trying to be vulnerable and be like, this is what I need, and that's hard. It's hard to ask for help. That's vulnerable. So, you know. Zahora... <laughs> it's a character from Star Trek. Yes, it is. She's she's great. So, 
I just want to ask this because I'm the same way. I, I feel weird about physical. Yeah. Because it's it's like to me it's like an intimate thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like I guess you can be a hug. There's still people are huggers, mm-hmm. but I've got a weird relationship with it. I do too. Like when someone asks me to pass out chips at a meeting, where you pass out the chip, you say you, like, and then you give them a hug when you give them a chip. Most anxiety ridden moment of my life is to hug a bunch of people I don't mm. know. But if it was like. Like last night, as we have a women's meeting here at my house, my like one of my best friends, Drew, she was leaving me. She's like, are you okay with touch? I'm like, of course. Like with her, no problem because I have let her into the most intimate thoughts in my head of my fears, my struggles. But if I don't know you, I don't know why. I, I'm working on it in therapy. Um, Let me ask this question for both of you guys then. Do you think some of it has to do with the fact that we've given ourselves, like our bodies... In ways, so now that we're sober, we're not sure what that means to... I would agree with that because, um, so I'm I'm completely fine with the whole side hug and quick hugs, but when you come in and actually full embrace and it lasts longer than a second, my brain starts going. And it's like, what does this mean? Why are we hugging so long? Is this going to end? What, what, and then it just, it just stops and, and like my mind explodes <laughs> like yeah. it's just thinking overthinking the situation yeah. i love to shake hands though man i get the damn good handshake too um, brings all the boys to the yard it does it's firm and and aggressive that's Great. what she said but um i think there's some part of like we've been talking about the it is intimate right and maybe I'm like I don't want you to want me for my body I want you to talk to me I don't know if this is some thing that's I'm going to be totally wrong on but for me when I shake your hand I can show you how strong of a person I am but if I let you in and I let you touch me you're going to feel that my heart's racing too much or you might smell that I didn't wear deodorant today or something like that like that one doesn't happen very often but if I shake your hand I can control what the forces, right? And I have a forward handshake. I worked in the restaurant industry with a bunch of dudes. I'll show you that I am. I mean something. Um, that might all be BS, and I might. Yeah, talk you're to in me. control when you're yeah. in a handshake, but when you're in an embrace, like mm-hmm. they cannot let go, and you're just stuck. <laughs> and sometimes they don't. There's some huggers out there that I'm like, please don't touch me. You're gonna hold on too long. Um, it's not always been like that for me, I, although I wasn't, I don't know, I feel like I wasn't hugged enough as a child. How's it, how's it been navigating the recovery community? Um, They're very big huggers. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask. <laughs> I, I've never been that big of a hugger. Like, I still, I'll, I'll reserve myself. Like, I won't, unless I know you a long time or I've had multiple conversations and that's just what we do I don't just reach out and say hey and then tug you like I, I'm I'm kind of I stand back mm-hmm. how long does it take you guys to get to know people Ooh. it really depends for me right like I connect which is so backwards from when I first came in I connect faster to women than I than I do with men and it was not that way when I came in because I hated all the other women I thought you're all out to get me Um, you knew stuff about me that I didn't want you to tell other people about as in my secrets and my, my fears. But now I'm in a place where like 
the women who come to my house on Wednesdays. I just want to have like a group hug snuggle fest because I feel so connected to everyone. And there's women who have only come two times and I feel like I would be comfortable with them touching me. Um, And it's with the dudes. I'm like, I just want to shake your hand. And maybe some of it goes hand in hand with this fun part of dating and recovery, right? Like if I let you, if you hug me, what does this hug actually mean? Right? Cause mm-hmm. that stuff can be misconstrued so easily. Um, and it, it seems, is, it is October 3rd. <laughs> it is cuddle, cuddle yeah. season. What's it? <laughs> what? No, what's it? A uh, cuffing season. Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's just my personal thing. And so I've had some experiences where I've, I've, unintentionally misled people and so I try and be a little bit more so how old how old are you again I'll be 28 on the 28th of December it's my golden birthday I will be 31 on January 2nd okay and I'll be 32 on Sunday this Sunday Sunday. happy birthday um I just I think (laughs) I think it's interesting that like it, we're really we're overthinking a lot of stuff you know yeah. and I was just thinking I was I was just thinking as we're overthinking <laughs> I'm thinking you know we I spent so much so many years my developmental years 18 to 26 numbing myself mm-hmm. so I never even like thought about any of this shit because I was always just fucked up or high or stoned right and it makes sense that we're all we're trying like it's like you wake up and you have like you can you can feel your senses your your touch like sensitivity not only internally you're sensitive but externally as well it's like I'm in I'm holding hands with people at, at doing the it's like you're a child again yeah. feeling these new feelings and new sensations that you just haven't for so long haven't don't understand don't know what anything means yeah. and so it's like my brain's trying to make sense of it while it's happening. I just had that recently. Um, so I, I felt things like happiness, overwhelmed anxiety, but just this past weekend, I got to feel true sadness and true pain for the first time. And that was so painful, but such a good process to walk through because I feel so much stronger being able to walk through that sober. And I just feel better in my recovery as a whole because now I, I can feel things and what is it? Um, the best thing about sobriety is that you can feel. The worst thing is that you can feel. Was that was that the whole thing? That I don't know if I like it. No, it's true. It's like, what ha- what happened? Um. So basically, I got a letter um, from a family friend, and it was supposed to get to me two months ago, but it got lost in the mail, and somehow just ended up um, this past weekend. And it was that my um, my uncle had sold my uh, grandmother's house and my grandmother passed a year ago and I haven't felt I haven't really grieved at all her death until recently and so it was just it hit me all of a sudden and it was really painful just to think about this I know it's just a material object but it was the last thing that was there of her and so it just it got me angry I was in denial I was sad I just could I was crying uncontrollably like I just was feeling and it was honestly it was so painful I really wanted to not feel anymore and numb out everything that I possibly could but because I've gained so much in the program I didn't and I I didn't want to throw away all the good things for this temporary 
bad feeling. And so mm-hmm. I, I honestly cried for probably 24 to 36 hours straight. But then it's over. And you're so much better and stronger and you haven't thrown your life away again. You're, you've healed and you've walked through it and grown to be a stronger person at the end of it. Hmm. But you looked good doing it, though. Aww. For those of you who can't see, Chris Lee is very beautiful. And she was rocking the winged eyeliner with the mascara. And I was like, are you okay? How is your makeup still like that? I was like, it's a lot of girl. a beautiful crier. <laughs> There's snot and sobbing and not happiness. But I, I have a lot of respect for... A, you going through that and staying strong in your resolve, right? Like, this is a situation to walk through. Because you could turn the other way, right? Mm-hmm. Well, screw this. I know what's going to make me change how I feel. Um, and then also being vulnerable and talking about it, right? Because that gives someone else, gives me, gives whomever else is listening, or whoever else, excuse me, is listening, an opportunity to recognize that, like, it's going to get better. We've already been through all of our worst days. Mm-hmm. And B, that you can talk about it, right? Talking about it is what helps us through this process. Um, That's the hardest thing I've had to learn is to be open when I feel. Like, I'm so used to shutting down and keeping everything to myself and like, I've got this. I can handle this on my own. I don't need your opinion. I don't need you. But at the end of the day, I do. I am a scared little girl inside and I just need someone to talk to about what I'm going through. And so, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a learned skill. I don't... Mm-hmm. I had to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. I just don't, you know, I just don't, it's, it doesn't make sense to me how that, how it works like that. How could talking out, I think I'm, I think I'm figuring it out as I'm speaking it, but <laughs> it takes whatever we think may be happening in our head and it, and it, and it breaks, brings it out and it unburdens us from the experience. Uh, it becomes a shared experience rather than just a me experience. It's like a we experience. Mm-hmm. And it allows you to walk through the steps of what exactly you're thinking in your brain. You're not making it this monstrumental thing. You're breaking it down into little tiny digestible pieces that are easily acceptable and easily to work through versus just keeping it in there and saying, oh my gosh, everything's wrong. No, everything's not wrong. A, B, and C... And we can fix it by one, two, and three. And just being able to process that instead of keeping it all in is a lot easier on your, yourself in general. What do you think about sharing at meetings? What do you think the point of sharing is? Ooh. Do you want history or do you want how I feel? <laughs> I don't, so I don't want just your, what, what, like, what do you... When you're going to share... What are you hoping to accomplish? I always tell myself, out of my brain, through my mouth. I, I, I hope that at the end of it, whatever was worrying me and consuming my thoughts and mind is now going to resolve itself and I can more easily see the solution to what I'm going through, I guess. For me, I'm trying to, to steal a phrase from the church to take it, my test and turn it into a testimony, right? I'm here to share my experience, strength, and hope. And usually in a meeting, there's a topic, right? And if I can relate to it through my prior experience, my current experience, then I'm 
sharing about it to give to let someone else know that if they're going through that or if they've been through that or you know here's how to involve like you said the solution into it right um sometimes it doesn't happen that way and sometimes I check in and word vomit everywhere um but that's usually why I share now it wasn't like that coming in right a lot of my shares coming in were checking in sort of relating to a topic but really not trying to like get connected with the room um I've spent a lot more time recently, although I do share a good bit, trying to listen to what other people have to say and recognize like, okay, this is a shared experience, a shared shared space, if you will, um, <laughs> and um, listen to what they have to say. And if I have something that's going to contribute to the experience, I'll share it. But there's something to be said for silence. Sometimes we need a group meditation that we don't even realize that we're happening, that's happening, right? People freak out when you lead discussion and no one starts sharing right off the bat. Well, I found that the best meetings that I go to are meetings that have a lot of silence because people are thinking about it. They're being uncomfortable. They're being comfortable in that space, whatever, wherever they're at. When people just immediately share off the rip, usually it's a gratitude meeting. Usually it's, you know, the easy ones. People don't want to talk about daily inventory. People don't want to talk about four steps. People don't want to talk about amends because they're hard, mm-hmm. you know? And in that silence, our brains are going, if it's silent in a meeting, I'm like, well, what do I really think about this? Do I have questions? Do I have doubt? What's the, what's going on in my mind and get kind of introspective with it? That's just my experience. I like the silence. You wouldn't know from how much I talk, but. (laughs) I just, I kept thinking, I don't think anyone's ever been saved by a share. I don't think anything's anyone ever said Mm -mm. has caused somebody, or at least in my, I can only speak from my experience. Nothing I've ever heard has ever made me change anything. I may have heard something. I may have took a note of it, Mm -hmm. but putting the actual effort into creating a change, recognizing the patterns, putting like until you, like you're the sex inventory, writing stuff out. I mean, the way I look at life is like 98% of it's unconscious. The times that it's not is when I'm recognizing that I'm alive and I recognize that I'm thinking. And uh, when I recognize that something's happening and I can do something differently. And that never seems to happen in meetings. So mm-hmm. I always, I always will hear something that hits me and I'll want to go thank somebody and it feels like it gave me momentum or I'll be sharing something that feels like it depletes me and I'm naked in front of the entire room and I can't look up from the ground for a few minutes but I but it like something's been lifted off like the burden I've been carrying has been relieved but it feels more like a like a process of continual movement more mm-hmm. so than um it's also just learning how to be open with others yeah like we have such a difficult time doing that and it's just getting in the habit of being able to verbalize what is going on mentally like I don't know how to say it well well, it makes me think you're doing your fourth step for the first time Mm -hmm. you're 31 31 years old? Don't age me. <laughs> 30. <laughs> She's still 30. <laughs> you're, thir- you're 30. Yes. 
When did you first learn that HA, AA, NA, 12 steps, CA, EA, whatever, any of this stuff existed? Um, I mean, it's always been in media. Like, they've always joked about it in movies or whatnot. I actually, I tried to go to AA when I was 25, but I wasn't at the right point in time. I wasn't ready yet. I wasn't, like, I got this. I'm good. And it wasn't until, like, I went through more experiences and had more detrimental things happen in my life that I truly became willing and open to sitting and staying in the rooms. So from 25 Mm -hmm. to 30, Mm -hmm. you learned about the program or you were in and out or you... I was out. I I came in um, last November, so almost a year ago. Oh, so you hadn't even been involved at all. You were just doing your thing. Yeah. So you're on the... Where are you at with dating, like, right now? Like, you're on the sex inventory. There's always people that give out suggestions. Where are you at with that? So I put myself on a man ban. Man ban. Yes. Is that, that's a new term. I've never that heard that. That is a new term. <laughs> so basically, um, not trying to enter a relationship in what are, like, um, mainly sexual, mainly um, talking in a sexual manner, um, boyfriend, girlfriend, things like that, just so that I can focus on my recovery and focus on myself and what I need to do to be a better me because I'm not going to give myself to a relationship or to another person if I don't know who I am at the core and I don't know who I am I've been hiding and masking who I am for so many years that I need to come back to the basics and figure out exactly who I am what I need what I want in order to be a complete partner because you don't want someone to complete your life. You want someone to, um, what is it called? Co-create? Enrich? Partner? <laughs> yes, some version of that. Some version of that. I can't remember the <laughs> yes, word that I use. Siamese but <laughs> Yes. The, the yin and the yang. You want not a co-pilot. Complete, no. Not complete, but complement. You want ah, a complement. Yeah. Oh, that's, that. that's way better yes. than all those other <laughs> We're like, enrich? Yes. Yeah. So you don't want someone to be your all in everything you want to take your goodness and your what you've created in your life and have them be there by your side Mm -hmm. and not be your end all be all well and if you're anything like me romantic relationships are just another drug they can be right especially in the beginning right like we use because we like the way it makes us feel right it makes me feel something that i'm not feeling internally so, therefore, if I'm feeling less than, if I'm feeling not good enough, I know right now there's four people I could text that could make me feel better than I, like, and what, not to say, like, oh, they can physically make me feel better, but that attention, right, that I will receive from that, that's another drug, right? And so if we lean into that and say, oh, well, you know, I haven't quite finished this process or uh, finished the process that I'm on right now at, or at, whatever, I can't talk, um, I'm going to fill it with something else. You're just using another drug, right? That's mm-hmm. why, That's why it is not in the big book. It's not official rule, but why they suggest you stay out of romantic relationships for the first year. Which is a long time. It's a, it is a long time, and it's hard, right? But 
for me, I, you know, in that first nine months of being sober before I finished the steps, I didn't know how to live life, let alone who I was. I wasn't going to provide anything of substance to someone else. And the only thing that I was going to get out of a relationship at that point in time was feeling a different way, mm-hmm. feeling loved, feeling good enough. But I have to find those things inside and in connection with God, right? So that's why... You know, my personal take is stay away from the dude, stay away from the chicks until you at least finish step work, right? And only you can know for yourself with helpful, like good sponsorship, what that point is. But you're doing yourself and potentially someone else a disservice. It's by, so tough, though. It's, it is tough, right? And I'm not I mean, perfect. Cause yeah, because it's like you're already not doing drugs or drinking. Yeah. No, it's, and it's like, what do I do all day? And then the I excitement totally, yeah. of like being around the opposite sex after how's it been for you? You're it's has it been tough? Being around the opposite sex or not having anybody to make me fill my void of feeling attractive. <laughs> <laughs> Both <laughs> No, I think um, nights are the hardest when like there's not someone to talk to, not someone to text, people have gone to bed and you're like, well, I feel alone. I feel lonely. You just want to have that person there. But then you have to remember, you're just filling another void. You're alone, but you're with yourself. So you have to be okay being with yourself. And that's a really difficult thing to do. Is it tough when you know someone you're attracted to likes you, so you know it's possible, or they're, like, interested but you're deciding to take this other road. Oh, yeah. That's like if someone walked up to you and like, here's 10 grand. I'm going to give you 10 grand. You want 10 grand. The 10 grand also wants you. Of course it's hard, right? But none of this is easy. This program that we go through is simple, but it's not easy. And sometimes you have to say, I'm going to do the hard thing for the benefits that come out, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not perfect at all. I made some mistakes in my first year of sobriety. I leaned into some situations that, you know, thankfully didn't go anywhere, but I I was trying to fill a void and I recognized it. A lot of it came through my old sponsor being like, what's your intentions? Why are you doing this? Are you doing this to get laid? All right, cool. Then walk away from the situation, right? Like get, get hit it and quit it, right? <laughs> that person better know too. Or are you doing it because you want the, you want someone to text you good night? We all want someone to say good night. Mm-hmm. I live for that, right? And, but it, so it, cause then you're not so alone, but with all that being said, you can't become comfortable being alone without being alone, mm-hmm. right? If you pour yourself into social engagements every single day of the week, being in, going on dates, all this stuff, when are you ever going to figure out that you're okay with who you are and find out things like, I found out that not only do I love fantasy football, I also really like to cross-stitch. Didn't know I liked that, but I didn't find that without learning more about myself. And that's my second TED Talk of the evening. So. <laughs> It's difficult. It's it's really having to tell yourself over and over again, what do you want at the end of the day? Do you want a meaningful relationship or do you want something that will just fill the temporary? And so I have to, I honestly have to hold back on things I, 
I text or talk about because I don't want them to be misconstrued in a different way or the relationship to change into something that I can't control. So there's another issue. (laughs) Control. Something you can't control. So, like, if if you're talking to someone and it starts turning sexual, then the relationship is changing into that. And now, how do you go back from this into quote-unquote intimate relationship where that's what it was based off of and now move back into just a a friendship where you're trying to gain a deeper connection not just a superficial connection like once you take that step you're saying it's difficult to go back yeah in my eyes but it's it's trying to like do you do you just start over that's where it's, it's, everybody's so different, but which is why I think it's important, like you're talking about communicating, being able to communicate with someone first. And knowing you don't where have you to, are. Yeah, knowing where you are and being able to communicate so you, you don't have to worry about that. Man. Sorry to mind. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm just, it's, it's blowing my mind because I didn't think about any of this stuff early on. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't. And She's so spiritual. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I was like the only thing I was, the only thing I was focused on was just like all steps. As long as I don't do drugs or alcohol and I do the steps, like that took all my energy. So, you know, I didn't think about dating or not dating. I went to like Geeky Paw and hooked up with somebody in a <laughs> hotel room. Like, and, and it wasn't like, I just was like, I, w- I was, it felt like I was protected. It was like, I'm already, I'm working through all this tough shit I got to work through, so my heart's not even available anyway, but then I'm feeling things for these girls, and I'm, like, interested, and I'm curious, like, I didn't even know what it was like to date at all, because all my girlfriends my whole life were just like, I'm kidnapping you now, you're mine, (laughs) (laughs) and then they would drive me around and and smoke weed all the time at me, and at you (laughs) (laughs) well I think there's also you know I hate to say this because some people believe that I'm a feminist but this is going to go against that um is that I think women and men are wired differently right we are wired as more emotional and empathetic beings I think men can also be but there's something more that I think it's a lot easier as a dude to go through recovery and maybe like have flings. have flings or have relationships and it not have as big of an impact. But in my experience and the experience of a lot of women close to me is that once we get vulnerable and we're not, we don't have anything to mask those feelings, romantic interchanges become a lot bigger of a deal, right? Like someone, you know, I don't know how to explain it. Maybe it's something that, and maybe you can back me up on this, Crystal. Like, it's just something as being a woman where it does impact us a lot more. I've seen a lot more women be rocked by relationships they got in at 30 days. And, you know, there, I've heard speakers talk about it, right? Like, I'm the one who relapsed. Not, this is not me, but the chick was talking about She's like, I'm the one who relapsed because he was spiritually fit and I wasn't ready yet, mm-hmm. right? And... I don't know. That's just my experience. And not to say that everyone has the same one. Maybe you find someone in rehab and you marry them and you live with them happily ever after. That's just what I've noticed is that from me, from the other women that I interact with, 
No, I definitely, I agree. And, and this past weekend when I had those feelings of sadness and pain, I could definitely relate that to a relationship. And how do you get through that without relapsing? Like, I really wanted to, honestly. But I was working through that, honestly, I, I went through pretty much all the stages of grief in a 24-hour period. And because in that period, because she had been gone for so long, I was able to get to the acceptance part. I don't think when you're breaking up from a relationship and being hurt like that, that you can get to the acceptance part that quickly. And so you're living in this pain over and over again. And if you're not ready for that, it's going to rock your world. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. No matter how serious or how not serious a relationship is, right? Like I dated a guy for a year so like I was sober he was sober for a year um we lived together I broke up with him honestly wasn't as bad off as this dude who I dated right after him that was four months right we dated for four months and it rocked me to my core it has had huge impact on this year of my sobriety um even if I don't want to admit it and so I think it all depends on your emotional state right like when I broke up with guy number one I was in a really a lot healthier of a state than I was with guy number two. And so I was unable to separate the fact that, okay, we broke up and it was actually really for the best with, well, he broke up with me, so I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I'm going to die alone. Where are my cats, right? That's, that's the stuff, that's the rabbit hole that my brain goes down. And it gets a lot darker than that, that might need to stay off of a recording. But um, <laughs> email me, I can talk to you about it. But um, <laughs> so time doesn't mean everything. I, I think that some people with a year sober can be more spiritual than someone with a 50 years. I think that someone with 100 days can be, it, it really depends on where you're at. But with all that being said, I haven't found a lot of people who are 30 days separated from shooting dope who are super fit spiritually. Because mm-hmm. you might just have stopped getting sick, right? And that's just, that's my thoughts, you know. And in AA, as they say, you're living on the pink cloud. You're in the happy zone. You Did haven't you hit the, cloud? you haven't hit the feels and the raw emotion of where... Yeah it goes when you get sober yeah when when you don't get what you want yes yeah did you have a pink cloud in your first get like well i mean what you're six years you have six years yeah so i had so i mean it was the pain and experiencing pain and grief the grief of a relationship during that fourth step for me when i did my first fourth step and in the immense process, it was like I had to relive and grieve every single time a name or was brought up and I had to do something. So it was really painful, so I learned how to do that. Was that your first time feeling pain in sobriety? Well, yeah. Yeah, in life, really, because I remember I, my, I broke up with my girlfriend in college, we were my high school sweetheart, and <laughs> I broke up with her because uh, I didn't feel like talking on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> As my head is in the pillow, because this is... Yeah. It was, it's cute. I, I it's was cute. playing football. I was uh, in, in college. I had to be at workouts and film and class. I had, like, no time. And then I'd get out of study hall, and she wanted to talk every night. And I was like, <sighs> I was too tired. And so I broke up with her. And then a month later, she was with someone else. 
Ooh. And I was like, oh, for, like, it hurt. And, um, but I was using, so I didn't really feel the full effect. And by the time mm-hmm. I came home for, for break, it was like I just got back with her. And it was like I was scared to see her, but I was like I had hope. And I don't know. So, but, like, nothing until I got sober did I ever experience anything like that since. So that was from 18 to 26. So then I'm real. I, the pink cloud for me was, um, I think everything was good, and I learned how to deal with, you know, grief. Uh, and then I hit the spiritual experience, and then shit just got really fucked. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah, because then it was like my eyes opened in a way I never expected and never thought. I didn't know how to deal with it um, for a little bit. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I think it's interesting... It's tough when you, when you're when you when you're going for something, and you like somebody, and you're vulnerable with that person, and they're just and and they may be interested one day, but then they're just not interested. Like how that affects mm-hmm. yourself, how mm-hmm. it affects, you know, you think things are a certain way, then they're not, and it's like, and just the the rejection itself is like. I'm okay with being rejected in front of a crowd or being re- rejected after a share because I know at least I kept it real, you know? But to, like, really have feelings for someone and then be like, no, I don't like you that way is painful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's why I would worry about it. Like, I'm glad in my experience I never caught feelings like that until much later down the road. You know, I guess I think part of it is being a dude. It's like I just was kind of like, I wasn't thinking about anything. <laughs> you know, I was just, yeah, it was just, that's why it's really fascinating to hear y- y'all's perspective on it because it's, it is, I think it's different. I think it's why, you know, I'm all for like non binary type, whatever you want to call yourself type stuff, but the idea that, you know, women know each other better than men ever will makes a lot of sense to me. One hundred percent, and and men know each other better than women will ever understand men, right? Like I see, there's men's meetings all around, and I have a friend who's been going to the same one for four years, and he's like, it's my favorite day of the week, right? Because you connect in a different way, you know. Maybe you've been, I don't know. I'm not a dude. I wish it's, I have it's, no. Ex- well, it's like a different. Vi- have you ever seen Home Improvement with Tim yeah, Allen? Yeah. <laughs> That's what it's like. <laughs> it's literally like that. So it's a lot of testosterone and like hooping and hollering. So it's a little much. But well, and you'd be surprised. Like our women's meeting, it's not just all like sadness and crying on each <laughs> yes. other. It's a lot more braiding hair and talking about dicks. To be honest, <laughs> um, but it is. To be a fly on the wall of either experience would be great, but I'm also glad I don't have to be a fly on the wall of a men's meeting because there's just some stuff you don't need to know, right? I don't need to know. Yeah, it doesn't... It doesn't... (laughs) (laughs) If everyone can see your face right now... I'm just, like, literally my whole life experience of all the men's meetings, and I'm like, how much dirty shit were they really (laughs) talking about? But it's all, it's mostly ego. It's mostly yeah. men alpha, alpha-ing themselves or granddaddying themselves at people or for their belief or for their, I mean, we're in Georgia. Right. You know, part of that's that too. Like I've been in different, I don't know, it's, yeah, Georgia's an, an issue all in itself, I think. That Southern male hospitality yeah. mentality, I mean. Yeah, well, I mean, this is where Deliverance was shot, filmed. <laughs> 
acting out. Acting out. <laughs> Cue the banjos. But yeah, I think this was good. Yeah. I, what what I would like to do with if you guys are open to it, mm-hmm. you two have a conversation like later on. Doesn't happen to happen, but like later on, just you two. Yeah, definitely. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I we'll want to make it happen. Because it would be cool to have. Because what I'd like to do is get go talk to Spencer. So ba- basically, what we would have is a female perspective on this, mm-hmm. just females, and then a male perspective, just males. Yeah, interesting. Well, maybe get Spencer in here with both of us too. Then you have the whole the whole picture, right? Yeah, this was good. So glad. Thank you. Oh, email address. Oh. Yeah, we have it. There's an email now. Yes. Inside the mind's eye at gmail.com. If if you will, if anything, if after listening, you want to reach out. That's, related, the, that's the place. If you got suggestions of things to talk about, mm-hmm. questions, questions, right? Mm-hmm. Slide in our DMs inside mm-hmm. the mind's eye at gmail.com. Boop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> trying not to laugh at that. Yep, 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 yep. Check it out,